This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Sometimes we think our podcast can't get any better, and then we book a guest like today's. We're super excited to welcome Zikri Colley to the show. I'm sure we've all tried to climb many things in our lives, whether it's the corporate ladder or just a tree in the backyard. The top is a way of making us reach for it. Hashtag goals. But even though we all climb, few of us talk about the falls. We're not the only ones that have taken a tumble, right? As we climb higher, looking down gets a whole lot scarier. And sometimes it's the fear of crashing down that makes us second guess the climb in the first place. But as today's guests can agree, falls aren't all that bad. The scars aren't cute, that's for sure, but they tend to teach us something. And for Zikri Colley, it was the fall from grace that helped him scale to greater heights. Dubbing himself the accidental entrepreneur, Zikri leveraged his globe-trotting background and love for connecting to create incitement, a company that helps people, causes and brands to grow themselves through social impact creation. Smack dab in the midst of Zikri's speedy climb to the top, a wrong move sent him crashing back down to earth. Instead of letting the fall knock him out for good, Zikri took the opportunity to shake it off and continue reaching for the stars. His phenomenal work and resilience has earned him a spot in the coveted Forbes 30 under 30 list, and he was even named as one of the top 100 world visionary leaders in 2016. Today, I'm thrilled to be talking to Zikri about the biggest mistakes young entrepreneurs make, how to gain resilience and finding it in yourself to rise after you fall. So if you're ready to say, see you later to fear and keep on keeping on, go ahead and turn up the volume. Zikri has got a lot that's worth listening to. Zikri, welcome to the Peace Project. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> awesome. So, you know, you and I connected over LinkedIn uh, very recently, actually. And, you know, when I came across you and all that you've created and all the awesome work you're doing, I knew I had to have you come on the show. Um, so I'm super excited to dive right in and, and learn a bit more about it. Absolutely. Um, likewise, uh, connecting you on LinkedIn, it's... Uh, it's nice to see that uh, there's a podcast like this for um, featuring people who may just uh, help others to understand um, people's journey so that they could be uh, relate to it and, and so forth. So, uh, you know, a big uh, tap on the back uh, to you. Cheers. No, you're too kind. Um, awesome. Awesome. So before we dive into your work, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Okay, so where did I grow up? Uh, to be honest, my parents were diplomats. Uh, it speaks a lot uh, with uh, the fact that, you know, it, uh, I was pretty much raised abroad all my life. Uh, I was born in Baghdad, uh, then I lived abroad in uh, Croatia, uh, Austria, uh, the US. Uh, so as a 
third culture kid, like we call ourselves. It's, uh, it's it, it, you know, we, I've been exposed with so many different languages, different cultures, different kind of people at such a young age. So, uh, the, the, the difficulty there was leaving your new friends, but the advantage here is you learn how to uh, socialize or how to make friends from different kinds of background. Uh, it gives you a different kind of upbringing, uh, especially when you look at, uh, you look people as people. Uh, I don't think, uh, I was born to, uh, I was not raised to like, uh, uh, have any preferential of, of what kind of culture I should have. I think I could, you know, single handedly pick anything that I felt, uh, that would bring some joy and happiness to, to my life. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, 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 I did not go to college abroad. I ended up doing the opposite where most Malaysians, when they finish university, uh, high school, they would go abroad to study. But for me, I finished my high school abroad and I came back here, uh, simply because my parents thought I was uh, too American or too foreign to my own people. So it was more of a, uh, I would say, you know, get to know my own uh, roots. So I ended up going to college in Malaysia and did my master's and so forth. Um, yeah, so, uh, but after college, I ended up working abroad again. I was in Indonesia with ASEAN Secretariat. I was in Jordan for almost two years uh, working with uh, the UNHCR agency there and other NGOs and studied Arabic at the same time. So I'm uh, pretty, pretty multilingual myself, uh, not because I had a choice. It's just a matter of it was cool and useful and necessity to have at least three or four languages. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's fun. You know, it's, uh, it's fun when you, when you talk to your Turkish friend who doesn't speak English, but he speaks Arabic. So it has this, this different feeling. So I felt a bit more uh, compelled to learn other languages as well. So that, that, that pretty much, uh, uh, yeah, uh, that kind of upbringing, it's uh, not everybody has it. I think it's quite privileged to be honest. Uh, but uh, for those who don't have that kind of uh, uh, upbringing, you know, I always tell all these young high school kids when they're done with school, they should just uh, go and travel and learn other culture, learn their languages and learn what you can bring back home because, you know, the world is just getting smaller because of uh, plane air flights are getting cheaper. Globalization is just getting more robust. So, you know, it's unavoidable. It's inevitable. I've been talking too much. Sorry. <laughs> Not at all. I absolutely love it. And I couldn't agree more with everything you're saying. It's so funny because when I looked at you and what you were doing in your in your history just here on LinkedIn, it, it's funny because I saw you did lots of travel. I saw you did so many different things in different parts of the world. And in my mind, I thought, how did he pull all this together? Like, how did this all meld? But now it makes so much more sense. Um, the culture just kind of mm. grew up just multilingual. You kind of moved around when you were younger and whatnot. What do you think that taught you about yourself, moving from country to country, learning these different languages? Like, what were some of the key things you learned about yourself during that time? Yeah, there was a lot of uh, things, to be honest. I think uh, number one, I, I, I've, I always thought myself as a global citizen. I, I think I wish there were no such thing as borders, with borders that would restrict people from moving. Uh, like, uh, not many people are a big fan of the EU at the moment, but, uh, I do like their policies when it comes to, you know, free of, of freedom of movement, uh, at the same time, um, because, you know, you, 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 Europe is so small and you can go anywhere you want. So it doesn't make sense if you have, uh, borders. So when I look, when I came back to Malaysia, you know, uh, you know, we like to promote ourselves as a very multicultural, harmonious, diverse, uh, you know, racial harmony, you know, uh, but in, but the real truth is there is still some form of division, uh, whether if it's a country's, uh, country's way, it culturally been like that to maintain some kind of peace and stability. Um, so, uh, but when I, from, from, from being able to live abroad, it just gives you, especially at a young age, you know, you are not grown to, uh, hate in any particular way. It's more like I like to, you get more curious on, oh, where, how did this guy spoke Arabic, but he's actually, 
from Brazil, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of curiosity because you're surrounded with other um, similar people. And I find myself uh, having this affinity feeling uh, hanging out with these people. And, uh, and I realized that this particular life I'm having, it's, uh, it's not for, it's not, it's not like everybody could have it. It's, I was born into it. And, uh, and I just felt like, you know, our, the Malaysians or anybody around the world should have some form of that kind of experience because it eliminates a lot of, um, stereotypes. It eliminates a lot of, uh, barriers. Um, it actually helps you really, regardless if you're an introvert or, 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 or someone who's very reserved, it allows you to just open up, uh, to others and, uh, and the best part, I think, is you are able to learn um, uh, to work with people who are not just from your own country or from your so-called race. Uh, so when I came back to Malaysia, that's the problem. We we have a pub. We have a few public universities here uh, who only uh, uh, allow um, uh, uh, Malays or Bumiputra, as we call them. So that means these are the original people of the land, and they're the only ones who can accept. Uh, who can enroll in these universities, uh, which I think uh, shouldn't be the case anymore uh, because they're, I believe they're disadvantaged at one point would be uh, how to re-mingle uh, with uh, the other people when it comes to work. Uh, this is just my opinion. I think a lot of people do share this opinion. So, yeah, so out of all that thing that I could learn f- f- from this is the fact that, you know, like I think it's, very, it's paramount that uh, people do make that time uh, to just, you know, if you're really curious, you're not sure um, uh, and wanting uh, to, uh, do, uh, you know, like not sure of why these people do what they do, you know, rather than just listening to news or, uh, or social media, I think it's better you experience it firsthand because seeing is believing and uh, interacting with them at the end of the day. It gives you a different kind of perspective. Uh, perspective. So, this is why I would I advocate this uh, wholeheartedly, and I hope people do follow suit. Mm. I love that, and I personally couldn't agree more. Purely because, I mean, you and I have kind of spoken prior to the podcast, but I also had kind of a, that different upbringing across, you know, lots of travels across Asia and and in Europe and whatnot. And I think, you know, I mean, for me, something absolutely. Really- stands out yeah is is my time in china and what not studying there and i think that what it really taught me personally you know kind of meeting with people who are from my culture from different cultures speaking these different languages learning these different languages it really taught me that literally what you were saying around the world is so small and that if we find a way to communicate with people from different cultures and and really understand their cultures then we can we can almost bring that back home and then grow from there, you know? And, and I think that exactly yeah. that level of perspective that you otherwise wouldn't have had. So I find that really interesting. Talk to me a little bit about kind of where, cause here's a thing, right? Everyone loves to travel. Everyone loves to explore different places, but how do you sustainably do that? You know, obviously it costs money. How did you get yourself on this entrepreneurial journey so that you could actually travel and see different cultures. Yeah, so I prioritize a lot on how I want to spend and how do I earn my 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 my, my to sustain myself. For example, I don't own a house. I don't even invest in 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 buying a car because, like, I think within my circumstances with my family, you know, uh, like I said, it's. Uh, it's quite a privilege to be in this kind of uh, this kind of life I've had. So my dad already had a few cars, so I just took one of his cars. <laughs> uh, houses. Uh, I used to live with my late grandma. My late grandma um, owns a house in city in, in in the heart of Kuala Lumpur, and she told me, uh, well, she wanted me to stay with her. So when I was back here, I was staying with her, and you know. It was just like having another mom, you know, she would cook, she would do all this kind of stuff. And uh, before she uh, passed away, she made sure that the, the house is uh, um, under my name in a way, in a, in, in, through my mom. So 
in, 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 in that sense, you know, I don't really have to invest so much. Uh, I know a lot of, and at the, and to be fair, uh, my age group, you know, whatever we call it, Gen, Gen Y or whatever, you know, we struggle to buy houses, uh, simply because it's, uh, I think it's a global epidemic when it comes to, uh, affording a house. You know, I'm not gonna, if I want to invest in the house, I'm not gonna settle with a small apartment just because I, that's the best, cheapest way. It's just not fair. So the market in Malaysia is a bit down now. So there's a lot of, uh, deflation at the moment. And so now a lot of the, you know, especially in the housing market. So, a lot of people like me don't own houses, so they start renting. But I had, again, I had this privilege of not being able to rent. So I stay with my grandma. Now I have this house to myself, so I'm just going to renovate it. Uh, so when I prioritize a lot, I put a lot of my savings uh, actually into traveling. Mm. Traveling is like my therapy, to be honest. Like I have this itch every two months. I cannot stay in one place. I need to get out. And what I mean, I when I what I mean by that is, it's not like a two three day getaway. I'm talking about like two three weeks of like somewhere, you know. Um, and it has been my mission to ensure that uh, to to cater to my uh, needs, which is traveling. You know, I want to make sure that uh, we open up uh, offices as well. So we are we are in the midst of opening one in Berlin in July for our European headquarters. We already kind of have one in Italy through our incitement chapters in Italy. Uh, uh, we do kind of have one in Tehran because a lot of our developers were from Tehran. Uh, but of course, the headquarters in KL. So there's a lot of things that I'm doing to make sure that uh, on a personal level, I do keep myself um, checked uh, with traveling around. And, uh, and yeah, the from your question, how do I sustain it? You know, I just simply don't save money to buy a house or to buy uh, a car or to buy, or even uh, at this point, like a wedding, <laughs> like uh, there's, I don't want to save up for that just because I, I don't know when I'm going to get married. I'm not going to save something that I do not know of. And I do have this, I have this philosophy uh, where, you know, I don't want to be saving so much and, but, it, and, 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 and then one day I'll be gone. Uh, you never know when you pass, right? Uh, this is a very, very uh, famous saying in, in Arabic. Uh, death is the distance between your foot and and uh, the and the earth that you step on. So that's how close death can be. You know, it's unmeasurable. You can measure your life expectancy, but you cannot measure the event of when it will ever happen. So that is always at the back of my mind. So. I don't want to be saving five, six hundred thousand dollars one day and then one, and I'm not being able to use it. So, um, that's been something I've been adopting myself for the past, I think, about seven, eight years now. So, any saving I get, I just, au revoir, I'm traveling. So, uh, whether if it's to an island or to some, uh, visiting a few NGOs of our partners, you know, like, even though when I go to, uh, when I'm invited to go to give talks and summits, and conferences, I don't stay like for two, three days. If I can, I would just stay for another extra week so that I could just, you know, relax a bit and, and so forth. Um, so for a lot of people who ask me how I manage to, how I'm able to travel so much, it's that simple. I don't prioritize on things that are, won't help you be more, you know, have that, who that will prevent your mobility. I mean, I read some, I had, I was reading somewhere a few years ago. Uh, that you know, it's better to rent houses than buying, because if you're a type of person who likes to move around, it's a bad investment if you buy a house and uh, unless you can afford it, you know. Uh, so it's best to still rent it and own it some when you're ready to settle or something like that. So people have different opinions. This is just what I think about it. So I hope that helps uh, answer that question. You know, it's all about prioritizing how you want to save up your money. Mm. I, I, I so agree with that. And I think that it is our generation that really is kind of, is it, that's just not really a high priority for many of us. And travel really is and, and building that kind of, you know, dynamic lifestyle where one month you're here, one month you're there. I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I'm so, yeah. 
curious about with you is how you've always built businesses, you know, right from the get-go, even back when you were studying at uni and whatnot, like I've seen, I see it here on your LinkedIn, there are so many different businesses you've built, so many things you were involved in. Where, how did entrepreneurship come about for you? You know, did you always have a desire to build businesses, to work for yourself? Like, how did this happen? Uh, so I like to call myself like a side hustler. I've been, I think I hustled since I was a kid, I guess, for the good and for the bad reason sometimes. Um, so, uh, but to become an entrepreneur, that was truly accidental, uh, especially within, uh, I think my first entrepreneurial or still is the only entrepreneurial journey I have is still with incitement, mm. uh, where I co-founded it with my uh, co-founder from the Netherlands. His name is Daniel de Grouter. Uh We were working in the same company called uh, Mind Valley at the time, and, uh, and we both had... Daniel had uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial experience. I had nothing. I What I knew was I knew how to get people going. I knew how to bring people together. I'm much of that. I'm more of a networker, know that kind of guy, upbringing, you know, moving shaker, that kind of person, you know. So I, so we started a movement together on uh, something called Insight Talks, which is basically like similar to TEDx, only difference is it's more Tony Robbins style with a call to action at the end. So we channel people's, uh, we channel the audience to specific uh, social projects or NGOs that they can, that they resonate with in volunteering. Um, and that somehow grew in 46 countries. Like they just grew, like they have the same model. Uh, so we have a, the biggest one uh, is in Italy. They're the biggest incitement community outside Malaysia, uh, in the world, actually. Um, so they are the ones who are running uh, these assignment talks. I've created a lot of uh, partnerships. Um, and while at while we're doing this, we just realized there's so much value that's been created. You know, we even uh, have uh, a, a, a Tony Buzan, the founding father of Mind Mapping, as one of our uh, advisors. And and and, we, and this is well. Working at Mind Valley, uh, coming into my third year there, I just decided to quit with with Daniel together, and that's when our real entrepreneurial journey started. You know, testing out business models. Um, so the goal was not to aim and fire; it was more or less the opposite. Let's try a few business models that could fit, and do remember that you know we were not sure in what kind of business uh, sector we should be focusing on because it was a movement focused on inciting positivity and then channeling their inspiration to take action with these uh, local grassroots movers and and so forth. Only then, you know, we tested a lot of stuff like uh, crowdsourcing speakers. We brought in uh, Sarah Kay and Phil Kay, you know, the two giants of uh, uh poets in the world and uh and we after bringing them here so, so you know having the tickets all sold out we just mm-hmm. realized we only broke even so breaking even is not you know it's a it, it was a quite a uh, mediocre indication whether we want to do this or not so we move on to another business model where we are doing a lot of uh, social enterprise social entrepreneurship workshop workshops excuse me and we also realized there are a lot of other big players already in the in the region who who do similar stuff, and we met a loss actually. So, and then one day we were invited to go to uh, give a talk in uh, Slovenia in 2015, uh, not knowing what business model we should be doing. And at that time, we were already uh, four people in the company, four or five, if not mistaken, and. Uh, our other way of sustaining ourselves at that time was I was doing a lot of training for Malaysian diplomats and any kind of uh, diplomatic uh, uh, members, uh, officers are in the region while Daniel was doing a lot of uh, consulting and um, uh, marketing for brands. And then something hit us. And that was um, when we talked again to a few of our NGOs and social enterprise partners that we have helped them getting volunteers. They kept telling us, Yo, we have a lot of volunteers. Thanks to you guys. Uh, thanks to you guys, 
but the only thing now we struggle with is uh, getting grants and funds. So grants and funds are getting more fast. They get a bit more difficult sometimes, and it's very competitive. And then when we talk to brands, when Daniel was doing a lot of branding for companies, they, they struggle by looking for the right NGO and social enterprise they want to work with because there's always a trust issue between the two, especially when there's money involved. They don't know if they can deliver. They don't know how to measure the impact. They don't know how to go about things, especially when, it, uh, when, they are, they, when they're really um, jumping on the UN SDG Go uh, bandwagon, not knowing where to go. So we decided. I think that's that. I think we should can test it out. We should try and help out the brands to connect them with the right uh, entities that they can work with on the for CSR mostly. And then that's where we found our our heart, the the core of the business, which is connecting the dots for brands and so uh, and NGO causes we call them. Um, so as as in Simon now we consult, we advise, and we even implement the projects on their behalf for the brands. Uh, we do a lot of impact measurement with our own uh, measurement tool called the Hourglass, uh, which has become its own business model itself. A lot of big banks and uh, education groups use this uh, in Malaysia. This impact measurement tool, um, and for me. It was a matter of time to connect the dots with the uh, incentive communities worldwide because now uh, we've had, we have never charged them in some in some capacity of, uh, as a franchise. It's always been free, and we believe it this way because it's the only way for them for us to learn how could they run this autonomously uh, within their cultural confinement and them knowing their own market there. And somehow we're able to connect the dot now the dots now. So. Fast forward, uh, you know, we have a, we have over 100 plus brands that we work with uh, globally now. Uh, and now we're slowly transitioning as a social tech venture. So that means, so what that means is we're going to be a technology centric uh, company that is using uh, uh, sophisticated technologies uh, as an enabler to amplify um, impact for on on how brands wants to use it, how causes wants to use it, and also uh, create more transparency, build more reliability mechanism between all the key users of 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 uh, procreating impact. Um, and we built this platform, this pro- our first product called Impactor, which is a social network packed with technological features to facilitate all the kind of impacts from sharing stories to. Uh, from creating transparency in in, in funding these projects um, and many many more. So all of that took us about you know as a movement we've been around for almost eight years now, but as a company we've been around for five years this year. So um, and you can it, it came with you know and that's why I said it's an accident. I'm an accidental entrepreneur because I never thought of it growing like this. You know now we have. Uh, uh, we just got uh, uh, a huge strategic partnership with a big, uh, big data development company in Asia, who's building us the whole technology uh, uh, for us, um, and yeah, getting invested as as well. All of that just happened, uh, you know, in the in the in the, in in, in the, uh, how do you say from from the front it looks so easy, but from the back, you know, there's a lot of things I could tell, you know, the struggle and the. You know, and again, I'm I we we position ourselves as the, the player in CSR, and you know, a lot of investors. I remember the time when we were trying to get investors in 2015, and we told them we were a social enterprise, a social business actually, and a lot of these investors were not uh, not into it because uh, they don't invest typically in social in social businesses because they can't turn over or exit three and four years. Uh, so there has always been their argument until, you know, slowly you start seeing, you know, all these different kind of VCs who are more focused on social impact uh, businesses. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, one of the boo-boos I would say, uh, when we were looking investors. So the only way to get them to really look at us is to, you know, um, is to shout out something that could definitely shake a industry that has not been, um, having any form of innovation the past three, four decades, and that's the CSI industry. So we've been focusing on that, educating brands, companies to use more marketing rather than CSR uh, budget uh, to 
grow their 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 company because a lot of studies we have a lot of studies uh, with Nielsen research with Core research even with Accenture strategy um, uh, reports you know that uh, CSI is one of the actually under the under the um, under uh, how do you say underrated uh, um, angle for companies who are not using the right way Europeans are ready I think or even Australians are ready for such uh, for for going into this uh, sector basically what I meant by that by using CSR uh, with marketing is trying to showcase as a brand that you do care uh, about real social causes so if there was a uh, a brand with similar products with similar price point uh, 66% of customers will go with a company that has a social cause um, so that's how big of a difference it's it's not just about growing your revenue as a brand it also creates uh, retention for your employees it creates uh, a, a reputation uh, and co- consumer behavior changes over time especially the, the new gen-, gen Z and millennials you know they they're more social conscious now. So if you're a brand that doesn't really uh, is causing a lot of harm, you're 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 more or less in the higher risk of harming your own uh, brand brand identity, your, your 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 company itself. So this is how we like to position ourselves, and it's it it also uh, baffles me that they're only ranking for top ten most valuable companies, top ten most beautiful offices of companies, but there's not there's not many that talks about. These are the top 10 company leaders who are solving these kind of real world problems, which you can link back to real uh, UN reports or, or the World Bank reports on, on inclusivity of economies and so forth. So, so many things are, um, are, are being under, uh, how do you say, you know, um, underseen, uh, under, you know, un- undervalued. And this is one sector that we want to dominate and uh, dominate in a sense, not as a, as the Amazon of uh, CSR, but dominate in the sense where we're able to, um, yeah, champion it and hopefully others will join the bandwagon. I find it fascinating, all, all the work you're doing and what you've built, Vickery. I think it's so cool seeing someone who, you know, has just dived straight into something they clearly are really passionate about, you know, seven, eight years ago now and have really built it, you know, that I think, where people struggle with entrepreneurship or with an idea they may have is they might dive in, they might quit their job, but then when it gets really difficult, when, you know, those business models fail, they don't actually pick themselves up and keep going. You know, talk to us a bit about how we can build that resilience, how we can actually gain the courage to get back up when things don't go as we planned. Yeah, I, I I have told a lot of people, especially there's a there's a huge influx of um, <laughs> students trying to be entrepreneurs or that's what they like to call them, you know, like they want to be they want to have their own they want to be their own CEO they want to have their own startup, you know, and stuff. But I really think it's not for everyone, um, simply because everyone is different. I, not everybody can have that mental fitness of 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 being able to get banged up as uh, with a lot of challenges you know like hey you know if you th- there's a lot of things you need to be able to uh manage your expectation especially the type of sacrifices that you have to make like you know, the time with your friends and your family members that's definitely going to be out of there uh the you know the 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 notion of and the possibility of you getting broke that's like what scares a lot of people i went through that phase uh, at least twice uh which is uh yeah yeah so especially when you know when you have a team you know your team is uh richard branson says this very nicely you know the best customer is actually your team and uh if your, your team is not happy you can't build a very dynamic team that doesn't build on trust doesn't build on uh you know uh empathy for one another depending and you know, everyone has a different style of leadership right you know i remember the time when we were we couldn't pay our staff for like four five six months and we had to let them know a month before that there will be no more salaries so it's up to you whether if you want to stay we'll work it out if you don't stay uh we'll help you find a job and because of the way how we built our team you know um, all of them stayed you know they were willing to go through the 
the you know and to go you know endeavor the 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 hardship of you know their from if their salary was four or five thousand dollars they had to we could only pay them maybe five to five hundred to even a thousand dollars you know for example and they were managed and they managed it somehow you know and for me that is like the you know i cannot you know i i love this team in in many many ways uh it has taught me so much uh, about resilience about being patient uh about knowing that there are still amazing people who would do anything that believe in your vision and your mission so ever since then you know i don't want this to ever happen again and that's why i think not many people are able to to do it uh, a lot of people don't see it you no know, you, you know the, the first thing a lot of big companies do when they are you know running out of capital is they do a lot of they cut people you know they 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 retrench them they they have to lay off a lot of people and i understand you know how this works you know from a from a top manager perspective you know they have no choice and sometimes this is good for them to leave and so forth uh but i really think uh there's also uh, an attitude uh, needs to be checked as well when you run a company if you're a startup with only five people and you're getting $100,000 as your investment there's no way you're going to pay yourself $10,000 a month that does that's, that's, that doesn't work like this is one of the examples i keep seeing uh co-founders splurging their investors money and thinking that they deserve to be paid shit loads of money just because they are the founders and this happens so many times and that's how a lot of young people who start their company die out and then they don't understand what did i go wrong well you went wrong because you over splurged because if you don't build up any kind of uh you know uh if you if you don't build up that kind of um uh how do you say that armor of of or and that uh, not wanting to experience what it's like uh just being you know uh, just a small amount first and seeing your product uh, even works even if it's a prototype you just want to see it work right you and you're not able to you know uh take the advice of just you know be more careful uh, and so forth and then that's when i know that you know this is not for everybody some people just don't know how to handle money some people just don't know how to you know um take care of their uh uh their their team and some people just have really terrible leadership they become more like bosses uh than than you know than a, a leader um but if you do make it some of them who do make it they some of them just tend to uh, lose their uh their their sense of identity they just get you know uh i have to admit it's uh you know once you have a bigger profile it does give you this it does build some kind of egoness you know and it's de- it depends on how you're going to n- nurture this you know you could use it for uh your own gain or you could use it in a way that you could you be you could be very um how do you say very very uh, uh having a strong character to protect your team and so forth uh but that's also another struggle most people have you know when they start getting series a or you know series b money um you know <laughs> Uh, you know, you did, once you have millions of millions of dollars in your bank account as investments you also need to remember you know you even though you're allowed to use this money to scale your business you still have people to answer to and not many people like that and not and that's when people have a lot of uh you know heads to heads uh people don't talk about it because they don't need to know but i know that this these things happen and you see so you can see there's two different sides of a coin when if you if you do make it you still need to go through all this kind of like you know like your your profile gets bigger you have maybe even some security concerns like those guys who are in the whole crypto crypto um not to say i'm in crypto but a lot of those startups who are crypto based you know they have security issues a lot of uh hackers would just try and hack hack the crap out of you and get all your tokens you know what i mean so uh it it just gets difficult to be honest nothing gets easier uh the more higher you go the more responsibility you have to take and the more uh discipline you need to be and you have to be careful with things what you say uh and things like that because they will come and bite your ass at the end of the day so um even me and, you know we're all human will 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 definitely have, will make mistakes um the best way especially if you're young especially if you're in your 20s actually you are i think you're allowed to make as much mistake as possible not the same one uh but mistakes that will just help you learn because these are the only things that you can 
grow from. But if you're in your late 30s or in 40s, people look at you already as someone who's already matured enough as a package. So people will look up to you. So a mistake, making any kind of small mistakes, any kind of mistakes actually could have a bigger impact uh, for those who are in that um, in that mold, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what I think about it, uh, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, I, I find it so fascinating. It's because you have been in business for so long, you know, eight years, and you've, you've really ridden that wave. And I find it, I really appreciate you telling us about that time where you couldn't pay your employees, you know, and yet the team was so strong and they all just stayed with you. Huh, yeah. I want to ask a question that, um, that, yeah, I just, I really want to know. You mentioned, you talked about mistakes. You talked about, you know, when you're in your 20s, make as many mistakes as you possibly can, learn as much as you can. What was one of the biggest mistakes that you made in this entrepreneurial journey? Oh, my God. That's quite, quite, there was a lot. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think. Oh gosh, where do I start? Uh, well, <laughs> the best university lesson I've ever had was actually doing this business. I would say, uh, uh, I we I think one of the mistakes I can share was uh, we were on a high roll. We were rolling good money, you know, good good runway. Sorry, uh, and we were very ambitious and most, most startups, uh, they die fast because they scale fast. You know, they want to grow fast, all the hiring. So we hired a lot of people at one time. We were very ambitious to look for a very nice office and renovate it. And a lot of these, uh, businesses, uh, a lot of this, uh, forecasting of what we want to do was based on, 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 on sales contract. I mean, back then we did, there was slightly different, you know, we, we account, things that is a sale uh when the contracts are in not 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 money because you know there's a commitment when you write the contract right so one of my mm. one of our ex-colleague at the time uh was doing it and uh the problem was well i, I didn't know but the, the, the thing is he uh, he kept bringing all these contracts in and uh saying oh this is gonna happen this is gonna happen so the forecast looks promising right so we're like okay let's spend here let's spend there let's spend here so we even had this and um, i thought our runway was almost 20 months so that's really long so if there was no sale coming in for the next 20 months then we wouldn't be then i wouldn't have to we wouldn't have to worry uh but you know slowly for some reason you know these contracts started to like not happening like this one pulled out this one pulled out so from 20 months became two months and oh. you know, I we already paid a down payment for this office about I think sixty thousand dollars or something like that, and we had to pay a rental of like ten thousand dollars a month like that already. We already moved to this new office, so then all of a sudden I, we don't have the money anymore to renovate. We didn't have the money more, to, you know, and it was so stressful. Uh, it was a terrible time, you know. Like, and I'm like, uh, that's the time when we almost got bankrupt because we didn't know what to do. I almost gave up. Mm. So did my co-founder Daniel at that time. Uh, the only thing that we wanted to do was we want to get out of this uh, uh, tenant uh, office contract because the in that contract we are not allowed. There is no termination clause, unfortunately. So I had to beg, and uh, we we had to beg to like just let us go. You know, we're dying here. We barely could survive. I could remember. I remembered for a good. Four months, I think I was only uh, eating um, oatmeal for a good four months. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so, mm. again, like, I still don't know. At that time, I still didn't know what made me push to, like, continue with Insignment because I think it would be such a pity uh, to see it die with all the Insignment communities worldwide. And, um, and I think this was the hardest lesson because uh, it... Uh, affected a lot from my personal life to, you know, health. Also, I started losing hair for the first time, which was crazy stressful and almost uh, went into some kind of depression. Uh, you know, you know, losing my hair was like losing a limb to me at that time, but I'm, I'm better now, of course. Uh, but then, um, 
Yeah, so that that was the, the the you know the you know and and the only thing that I could remember that brought us back was like we we went back to the boardroom and said like what can we do now to save ourselves, and somehow uh, I think uh, I do believe in luck or however you want to refer it to as. So out of nowhere, we had this huge giant contract from uh, the Ministry of Finance who wanted us to do a program, just out of the blue, like. Uh, of course, we there was a lot of work to be done, uh, and when we got it, we're like, oh, this this helped us bounce back. And ever since then, we had we reformed everything we do from the way how we record our sales, the way how we hire, the way how you know we nowadays we hire slow and fire fast. We can't afford to have people who don't share the same wavelength. Uh, I think we got inspired a lot by Netflix's uh, working culture. They have this quadrant, you know, you want to be on this top right-hand corner quadrant where you're not just always culture fit, but you're also a, an A player, you know? So, are we, <laughs> so, um, and then we realized some of our team uh, mates who've been there with us are not on that right-hand quadrant. So instead of letting them go, we let them know, and we wanted to be on that quadrant, and they understood. Um, so there was a, so that's why that's why I'm saying there was a lot of ref, re, reformation, uh, a lot of reform. Sorry, and uh, that yeah. So I th- I think if this never happened, if this didn't happen, I wouldn't have learned how to manage the company better. I wouldn't have learned how to be a better leader. I wouldn't have learned how to manage the the the, the problem. Uh, like this if it were to come in the near future i think everyone would need to go through something like this you know it's like it's almost like a hero's journey you're almost dead after fighting the final evil boss and out of nowhere an elixir comes and brings you back to life and it gives you this new perspective on how to repurpose things and that's what i think happened uh and that's and i really think uh you know uh, it's sometimes uh people people like to say uh it's all about people who you know who would bring you to success, which is a bit, which is kind of true, but uh, you also need luck. So what is luck? How do you get luck? It's for me unexplainable. You know, it's God or or, or, un- or the universe works in a very f- funny way sometimes. So, um, and I do believe like, uh, you know, I've talked to so many people who went through this, you know, they, they've had, they've been cheated before, they've been fooled before, they've been, and they're good people. They just, they just didn't know how to succumb such a hard, a terrible, terrible times. You know, trial, trial of times. And at the end of the day, I really believe that these good people will end up meeting up the same other group of people who went through the same shit. And then that's when you reap rewards. When you and you understood together, you could relate each other's uh, uh, difficulties. And uh, and that's what I think is happening now uh, to to me and Daniel and the team. Uh, we have this amazing partnership. We have this amazing investment. We have this amazing opportunity and I have new roles that's filling up and that's gonna not be just great for me personally, but also for incitement because my priority is always and will always be, uh, for incitement until I know what I want in the next, you know, two, three, four years, five years, you know, you never know. Oh, I've talked too much. (laughs) (laughs) i absolutely love it and i think it's so empowering hearing your you know your struggles and and how low it all got because i think that's something that we don't talk enough about you know we always see obviously you're you built a phenomenal business you're a Forbes 30 under 30 you know you you speak at events and you know it's all glorified but i think it's 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 so interesting to talk about the hard times because yeah absolutely yeah and so I, I love that you shared that with us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I think uh, I I think uh, what also helped a lot was the fact that even if the company did die, if it did die, you know, I still cannot imagine myself if I were to be in the shoes of a of a refugee, for example. They have to go. They have to fight for their life. I'm fighting for a company. Mm. So when you compare yourself with that kind of situation, you know, that it's not the end of the world. Uh, but you know, also that, uh, for the better of your, your life, it's, you know, you wouldn't, you would never want to be in that position and you have full sympathy and, and, you know, uh, yeah, a lot of empathy for those who are going through such 
ridiculous, you know, uh, escaping for war-torn countries, you know, that, and, and I think sometimes a lot of us forget the human factor uh, as, as entrepreneurs, um, you know, like uh, that itself helped me at least to like, you know, like tell myself, you know what, it's going to be cool. You're going to be fine. Uh, worst comes to worst. My, my, my plan Z, my, my last resort was to like do a PhD. <laughs> that was my, uh, <laughs> that was my last resort actually. Like if, you know, if things become like terrible, but, but yeah, like when I compare myself to that kind of situation or anyone, you know, like the whole, um, you know, my country's not at war, but some people who fled Syria and then become developers in Malaysia, for example, I salute those guys big time because they had to run away, not to just survive, but make an opportunity. I don't know how I could do that, to be honest, you know, I don't know what would I do, what I've done, you know, would, I would never imagine myself walking to a country, you know, and trying to find a better place to live. It's just doesn't factorize in here. Mm. So when I compare with my struggle as a business, you know, like, or anyone who's struggling their business, you know, it just gives you this like hope that, you know, everything is going to just gonna be fine for you. So just pray that you will never be in that uh, terrible situation. Like most of these refugees are. So that that's how I, Mm-hmm. compare it at one point when I was not knowing what should I do about it. So maybe I think it's, it's, it's not that bad at all. I think it's always good to compare your situation with others to see whether, would you have made it uh, if you were in that position or, or you, do you think you will boost yourself much better now knowing that this is just a company that just need to be fixing, or maybe you should quit and just start a new one. You know, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of your life. And, and it is true, the entrepreneur's life, people who always talk about success, success behind the curtain, there's a lot of depression, a lot of uh, hardship, a lot of, you know, that kind of stuff. People don't like to talk about it because they, they want to make themselves look strong. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, we're still human, right? I, I couldn't agree more. And it's so funny on that point there because I actually think when you do talk about it, you are actually so much stronger. You're so much more courageous because you're the one who's putting up your hand and going, you know what? I'm not perfect. Yes, I've achieved all of this awesome stuff. So let me tell you the real deal. And I just love that. So I, I, I so appreciate this type of conversation. And I just will touch on before we come to the close of today's interview, I will touch on the, the point that you made around comparing like gaining perspective I think it brings us back to what we were talking about at the start of today's interview around different cultures understanding the different struggles people go through in different parts of the world and understanding their culture and and when you compare yourself in your situation to people who are fleeing countries or whatever it may be whatever struggle they're going through it really does seem quite silly and I think that in a way that can really help us to progress it right does, yeah. yeah. I love that. Absolutely. I, I knew this conversation was going to be awesome. I was really excited for it. So I really appreciate your time. And as we come to the close of today's episode, I just firstly want to acknowledge you for the awesome work you've awesome. done and that you're doing. You really are the example for our generation of you know what it means to take the leap to step up when you fall down and just to really keep going and make a difference which you are so i'm so excited you. to see your journey and we really appreciate you thank you so much for everything you've done and thank you so much for uh leading such podcasts uh, and i really hope uh, people do listen and tune in and and understand that you know there's uh, there, there's more to life than just you know, being stuck at one point. So tune into Michelle's podcast, everybody. <laughs> I love it, Zikri. I love the shout out. Thank you. And our final question for today's interview is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Pierce Project, and that is, okay, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? What is the value that I'm pursuing the most passionate about, right? What is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Oh, boy. Uh, you put me in a very tough, posi- uh, tough spot here. Uh, 
What is that? Uh, I love doing that. Uh, I, 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 uh, uh, you know, passion changes over time, to be honest, I think. Uh, I think my passion has changed the past five years compared to where I am now, for example. like It's still relatively the same. It's still on the same line, uh, but um, it can change. Uh, but what values, mo- values me the most when I'm pursuing for such a uh, uh, dream uh, in what I love in doing is, the, is knowing the fact that I know I want to help people and I can't do it uh, in the masses. So from knowing that particular uh, bubble, I'm able to uh, understand like the best way for me to do this is to keep knocking on as many doors as possible. Um, I have nothing to lose. I still have the energy. I still have the power to go out. I'm still fit. I can still, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a sales guy. I can still connect the dot. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's not just about pursuing that passion the most. It's also about sharing it uh, with people who could be the next, you know, Zikri or the next Michelle. Um, because these are what people aspire to see, you know, life imitates art and we are the artists. We need to paint these, uh, picture for, for, for society. And, um, and, and it doesn't matter what passion uh, that you have at the end of the day. I hope it's a good one, not something hatred like what's happening lately, unfortunately. Uh, but um, if it's a, it, uh, you know, the, 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 it's not do or die. It's just a matter of if it doesn't work out and you've given your all or you think you've given it your all, then stop and uh, look for other things. Because I remembered one talk from one of the guys from 500 Startups. Uh, he told me if you're still uh, doing pursuing your passion for the past 10, 15 years and you're still on uh, step one, I think it's better that you invest in yourself first and then uh, go back uh, and see what uh, if you want to pursue it, uh, the same passion or not. So that's the best advice I can give. And I resonate that a lot because a lot of people spend shitloads of years, right? Like 10, 15 years on same thing and sometimes they don't move you see that issues with a lot of innovators uh, you know they may have find 9999 ways that didn't work uh which is a huge uh, investment of their time but again in this realm i think at this time in this present uh just uh, have that as a food of thought and uh yeah i hope that helps answer this valuable question of yours to end the show <laughs> I love it, Zikri, and it totally does. I, everything you're saying, it just, it, it really does make us think, and it really does just add value, which is, you know, of course it does. It's coming from you. <laughs> no, I so appreciate it. So, where can people learn more about you and your company? Where can people hear more about me and my company? Uh, they can definitely go to uh, our main website, www.dincitement.com. That is. T-H-E-I-N-C-I-T-E-M-E-N-T. And they can check out our new tech product uh, called Impactor. You can go to www.impactor.com. That's Impactor with an M. So I-N-P-A-C-T-O-R.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just look for Zikri Khalil. Uh, I'm, on, I'm on Instagram. You can look for me. That's where you get to know me personally on my Instagram. I like to Instagram about my cat and my travels. Uh, and yeah, so look for my Twitter. It's, uh, my handle is subzeek, S-U-P-Z-E-E-K. Ta-da. Awesome. Don't forget to subscribe Michelle's as well. I think the <laughs> link is somewhere in the bottom. So. <laughs> yeah, the real link there, of course. Amazing, Drew. We so appreciate you. Thanks so much. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion. 
and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.